We're going to be reading out of Colossians 3, 1 through 17. The, uh, if, if, if then we were raised with Christ, seek the things in which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on things of the earth, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will also, with him, be in glory. Therefore, put to death your members in which are on earth, fornication, uncleanliness, passion, evil desires, covenantness, which is idolatry. Because these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you were living, uh, lived in them. But now you yourselves are put off in all this, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with, the, with his deeds, you have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, uh, 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 circumcised nor not circumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, and long-suffering, bearing one another for forgiving one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ has forgave you, you uh, must also do. But above all, these things put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, in all wisdom, teaching, and ad, uh, admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do, in word and deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God and Father through him. In Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I thought it would be good for us as a church to, since we finished the book of Nehemiah, kind of moving into this season, we have Thanksgiving and then we have Christmas, I thought it would be good for us to think about the idea of thankfulness. Are you thankful to the Lord? Do you have a thankful, a grateful heart to Him? Because I, as I began to, to look at the Scriptures, and one thing when you're, when you're trying to find what I call a topical message, let's just say thankfulness, it's very difficult to just be topical. What you want to do is find the Scripture that speaks on that topic. Then you're true to the Word of God. And I think what Paul does here in the book of Colossians, he three times in the text we'll look at today, he speaks about us as God's people, that we should be so thankful to God. 
More than any other people, we should be the people that have thankful hearts. And, and I want to press you in this area this morning. Are you thankful? Because you should be thankful. I should be thankful to the Lord. Now, Paul wrote this letter to the church that it was in Colossae. And understand that Paul wrote this letter from a Roman jail. He was in prison. He was not the founder of the church. The founder of the church was a man named Epaphras. And Epaphras, he, he comes to Paul because there's a problem in the church. A, a heresy has come in, a false teaching. It was very similar to the second century Gnosticism. And the basics of that is that basically that the spiritual life and the physical life, they're totally separate. That means you can do whatever you want to do physically. It doesn't impact your spiritual life. So if you want to do fornication, get drunk, whatever, it doesn't matter. It doesn't impact where you are spiritually with the Lord. So Epaphras, when this false teaching comes into the church, he goes all the way to Rome from Colossae. And he speaks to Paul and he has Paul write a letter back to the church. And Paul writes this letter. And I want to kind of give you a little bit of the background. Paul begins by establishing that Jesus Christ is fully God. Another part of the false teaching that they taught is that Jesus was just an apparition, not really God, not really man. He was just like a ghost. And so Paul says this in Colossians 1, 16 and 17. He says, For by Him all things were created, both in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. Jesus Christ is fully God. And then Paul in chapter 2 he encourages the people of Colossae to walk in the identity of who they are in Christ. He tells them, chapter 2, verse 6, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk in Him. And then he goes on further, and he confirms again that Jesus is God and that He also came in human flesh. Colossians 2, 8 and 9 says, See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. For in Him, the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And so now, Paul then transitions into chapter 3, and he explains to the followers of Christ, those who are reading this letter, that they have this new identity in Christ. Do you understand that you are different? That you have the Holy Spirit residing in you. You are changed. And because of that change, we can now live into that identity of Christ in us, the hope of glory. And Paul says this in verse 1 of chapter 3, Therefore you have been raised up with Christ. Keep seeking the things of above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Now I had Derek read from verse 1 to verse 17, because I wanted to give you the full scope, the, the context of the whole passage. And in the version that he read, he, his version said, since then, my version says, therefore, really, I think since then is better. Since then, you have been raised up with Christ, literally co-resurrected with Christ, guaranteed you will be raised from the dead when He returns. Since then. Let your mind dwell on the things of heaven, not on the things of earth. Let your mind be given over to the things of God, not of the flesh. 
And that leads us into the section we'll be in today. Now, Paul's interesting the way he writes, and particularly in this section, because as he begins to move into chapter 3, he starts talking about putting on and taking off, almost the way you would uh, take off old clothing and put on clothing that fits. And in verses 5 through 9, he talks about taking off. Since you're in Christ, since you have this new identity, take off that old man. Take off the way you used to live. Things such as sexual sin and greediness and anger and wrath and malice. Those verses deal with that. And and then he shifts and he starts talking about put on, verses 10 and 11. He says, and have put on the new self who is being renewed in the true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him, a renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and freeman, but Christ is all and in all. We are to put on our identity in Christ, the new self. You understand that you're a new creature in Christ. Old things are gone. New things have come. So you take off the old, you put on the new. But can I tell you something? You need to do it with the right attitude. And what Paul deals with here is putting on Christ with an attitude of thanksgiving with a thankful heart. Are you thankful? I pray you are. Because Paul's going to point out and reveal three things of this new reality that we have in Christ to be thankful for. And the first thing we see this morning, I mean, why should we be thankful as followers of Christ? Be thankful for your relationship with God through Christ. Be thankful that now you have a living relationship with the true and living God because of Christ. Look at verses 12 through 15 again. It says, So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against you, just as the Lord forgave you, so also... You sh- so should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Now, the reason when you look at a text, you want to find things that repeat because that often gives you the theme. And in verses 12 through 17, we're going to look, have three points in this message. I'm telling you up front. Three things we're going to look at. But one thing that popped off to the page to me, and I want to show you these, at the end of each main thought, there is this idea of being thankful. I want to show you that up front. Verse 15, it says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Verse 16, Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another, with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness, in your hearts to God. Verse 17, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. As followers of Christ, as those who have been born again, since you have been changed, because you have the Holy Spirit within you, you should be so thankful. 
Not only because of what He's done, but because of who you are. Are you thankful? Are you thankful that God has chosen you? What? Yeah. What an amazing thought that He would choose a wretch like me. Verse 12 says that we're to be thankful because we are chosen of God. Do you understand if you're a Christian, it's not just because at some point you made some kind of decision all on your own. The Bible says that you are so lost, so dead in sin, you would never, ever make that choice for Him unless by His Spirit and by His goodness and by His grace He moved in power and drew you to Him. Now, the Greek word is electos, and it carries this idea of being actively selected for a purpose by God. Jesus said this in John chapter 6, verse 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. And the Bible is very, very clear. God is actively calling, actively pursuing, actively wooing people to Christ through the work of the Holy Spirit. Do you feel the tension in here right now? Whenever you speak about election, this truth, this doctrine, there's always a tension. I've learned to live in this tension. Peter puts it like this in 1 Peter 1 and 2. He says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and to be sprinkled with His blood. May grace and peace be yours to fullest measure. To deny God's sovereignty to deny that God is pursuing, wooing, calling people to Himself through the work of the Spirit is to deny the Scriptures. But i got to tell you, I want to take a very balanced view on election, as we should. Because the Bible speaks very clearly that God's election does not take away the opportunity or the responsibility of the person to respond. There is a broadness, an openness to God's heart. He takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. His desire is that all would come to the knowledge of the truth and be saved. And, and I don't know where you stand on this, but can you hold them both in tension? Because Jesus also said in John chapter 6, verse 40, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and who believes in Him will have, present tense, eternal life. And I myself will raise Him up on the last day. And so we, we hold this balanced view of, of God's sovereignty, His pursuing grace, His constant reaching out to the lost, and our responsibility to respond to the truth when it is presented to us clearly in the Scriptures. But can I tell you, once you are saved, once you have been born again, even though you do not deserve it, and you don't, and I don't, God has a special designation for you, a special place for you. You don't just become a, a slave to a, to a mean taskmaster, but you become a son or a daughter to a father. 
Paul said this in Romans 8, 14 and 15, for all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading again to fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons as we cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy. We have a living relationship with the living God through Christ Jesus. Do you guys understand what that means? There was no hope, none. No opportunity, not one. But God, by His grace and His kindness and goodness, sent His only begotten Son to die in our place so that we could have this relationship, this adoption take place. And it doesn't stop there. Paul in Colossians says also, not only are we adopted, but we are holy and beloved. I mean, that's... Did you know you're considered holy? What? Ask your spouse, right? (laughs) Holy means set apart. Given over. You are set apart to Him. You are to live out who you are. You're holy before God because you have been cleansed in Him. But not only that, you're loved. Loved. Deeply loved. Agape love. God-centered love. So not only are you set apart for Him, but you're set apart for Him for a loving relationship. And that love has been poured out into your hearts. He loved you first so that you could love Him and love others as well. And because of this reality that we're set apart to Him, that we're loved by Him, that we're adopted in Him, then Paul says, okay, since that's you, put on. Put on the reality of those Christ-like characters, those characters of your Father. Live it out. And then he goes through eight of them. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, but I'm going to walk you through each one. Verses 12 through 14 says, So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, and forgiving each other. And whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so, so also should you. And beyond these, all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. So he says, hey, put on a heart of compassion. Put on compassion. Our Lord, wasn't He compassionate? Gentle of heart? He said, be like Jesus in this one. Put on that heart towards others, which you normally don't have when you want things your way and I want it now. But be compassionate to one another in the church, out of the church. Heart literally refers to the inward parts of the body, the heart, the lungs. And combined with compassion, which is pity and mercy, it literally means to put on heartfelt compassion towards others. And he doesn't stop there. He says, also put on kindness. Kindness is related to compassion. The Greek word refers to to the grace that pervades the whole person. It has a mellowing effect on us. Where when things don't go our way, we're still kind to others and to one another. Why? Because God was so kind to us. God in His kindness revealed Himself to you and drew you by His mercy and grace. Look at Titus 3 and 4. It says, 
But when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appear, He saved us. Not on the basis of deeds which we have done. There's no religion in there. It's not your righteousness. But according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ. And because of that kindness, we should be kind to others. Compassion, kindness, put on humility. Humility. Did you know that humility was never viewed as a virtue until after Christ came, died on the cross, and people became Christians and started to live out humbly before others? To the Roman mind and the Greek mind, they viewed pride as the thing to have, strength, honor. But in Christ is to be humble, lowly. And tied with that is gentleness, the next one. You could say meekness. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is strength under control. It kind of connects to that compassion and kindness, doesn't it? And, and it's a willingness to endure things meekly, gently, helping others. And then he says patience. That's the fifth one we see, patience. Often when I speak to people, they say, I need more patience. I don't ever pray for patience. <laughs> Usually it's a trial that develops that. But because God is long-suffering, patient with us, in the same way we reflect that back to others as patience with others, which leads into the next one, bearing with one another. You could call it forbearance. You could also say we, we bear for faith's sake ridicule and others that want to hinder our walk. And then he says, forgiving each other. Forgiving each other, just as you've been forgiven. But then he says, just as the Lord forgave you. He uses his comparison as to Christ. He bore your sins on the cross so that you could be forgiven. So shouldn't we as God's people forgive others? Now there's seven of them right there. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forbearance, forgiving each other. And then he says the eighth one. And I want to kind of focus on this a little bit. He says, he says, put on love. Love. Verse 14, and beyond all these things, love, which is the perfect bond of unity. So you might picture, you know, in those days, many people, what they wore was almost like a tunic, right? Had two holes for the sleeves and a hole for the head, and they'd put it on. It was kind of loose-fitting. That was a very common dress. And then they would take a belt and bind it. Love is the belt. Of all those Christ-like, God-like characteristics, love is the thing that binds it, unifies it. And it unifies it here as a body. Jesus says, you'll know my disciples by what? The love that they have for one another. And Galatians 5 says that love is a fruit of the Spirit. None of these things can we do them on our own, but we have to have the work of God's Spirit within us. And because of that, now we can live out these character traits. But there is a result when we begin to live those out, and that result is peace. And so what Paul does is, is he, he begins to, to shift here from character to conduct. Look at verse 15. He says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And then he says, and be thankful. As Christians, he's saying, let us let the, the peace of Christ rule. Do you want to know what God's will is? If you want to know what God's will is, let the peace of Christ rule in your life. 
And it will aid you in knowing the peace of God. It will aid you in knowing what His will is. That word peace or rule, that word rule means umpire. <laughs> let, let peace be the umpire in your life to kind of direct your understanding what is the will of God. Now, I want to look at this in two different ways. The Greek word for peace speaks about peace as a treaty or a pact, like a peace treaty. This idea that we were estranged from God, but now we've been made right with God. We have a peace treaty now with God, reconciled to Him. The Hebrew word has this concept of peace, this idea that you find rest and security in Him. A little different, more of the feeling aspect in the Hebrew. And I think both are true in Christ. We have been reconciled to God. We now have peace with God. We were estranged. Do you know you were at war with God before you knew Christ? But now, in the blood of Christ, a peace treaty has been signed. Paul says in Romans 5.1, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Justified, declared righteous, even though you're not, given His righteousness in our place, a peace treaty has been signed, but it doesn't stop there. In Christ, we can have rest for our souls, peace. And both of those things are to help us to understand the will of God. Does the thing that you want to do line up with the Scriptures? You do what you know Christ wants to do that give, gives you that peace treaty with Him that's not outside of His will. Then you know you're in that lane of peace. And will what you do give rest to your soul? Will you say God is right with this decision? Both those help to guide us and rule us and help us. And all of it, again, it is motivated by what? By thankfulness. Verse 15, and be thankful. Paul in Ephesians 5.20 says, always giving thanks for all things. Are you thankful this morning? Because I think thankfulness begins to breed in us a desire to do more for Christ, to know Him more, to help others, those kind of things. It's a great motivator. You know, we've, I've been out of the pulpit for a couple of weeks, and the reason was, and I'm so thankful for this, my son Matt and his wife Cher blessed us and, and brought Karen and I to Europe. We got to see Italy with our grandkids and also France. We had a great time, wonderful experience. And when we got back, I realized we had tons of cards for many of you thanking us for the ministry, Karen and I both. And, and what I realized when, when I saw that is it made me more thankful. <laughs> Your thankfulness towards us made me more thankful to serve, and it motivates. And do you know that God wants us to be thankful? That is His desire, and that's what we see right here. Why should we be thankful as followers of Christ? First thing, be thankful for your relationship with God through Christ. Second thing, be thankful for the Word of God. Be thankful for the Word of God. I think the Word of God is the greatest gift that God could have given to us besides our salvation and the Spirit that dwells within us. Look at verse 16. It says, Let the Word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom and teaching, admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Now again, Paul here, at the end of verse 16, he says, singing with thankfulness in your hearts. That theme of thankfulness kind of undergirding these thoughts. And we as God's people should be so thankful for the Scriptures. 
They are light unto our path. They are a guide to us. They are a help to us. They strengthen our soul. They enable us to stand in the fight. And he says, let the Word of Christ richly dwell within you. The Word of Christ is everything that Jesus Christ agreed with. The Old Testament Scriptures that he quoted, the gospel that he taught, that's both the Old Testament and the New Testament, it is our Word. It is the Bible. Are you thankful for the Word of God? You should be. Because Paul here says that that it should dwell within us richly. Now, that word dwell means to be at home. It means to be at home. And I was trying to think what that looks like. Home's where I like to be. Home is where I belong. Home is what I'm familiar with. It's it's where I find rest. It's, It's where I know I can be myself. And what Paul is saying is that He wants the Word of God to dwell in you just like something dwelling within home that you're so familiar with it. And he says richly, it's like abundantly, like you're just jam-packed with the Word of God like it's at home in you. And it's a part of you that you get, get cut, you bleed Bible. The Scriptures is such a part of your life. Abundantly. And the Bible says that there are some things that we should do as God's people with the Word of God. I want to share four scriptures with you and give you the idea. The first one is to heed the Word. We as God's people are to heed His Word. Matthew 13, 9 says, He who has ears, let him hear. That's why I prayed that this morning. Lord, would you open our ears? Would you let us hear your Word this morning? Why? So we can heed it. So we can do it. I hope you understand that the Word of God, Hebrews says, is like a knife. It's like a surgeon's scalpel. And when the Word of God is preached, spoken, by the Spirit of God it is led and it is entering into your life. And sometimes it cuts like a knife and it brings out sin or it points to areas of encouragement or whatever God is doing with the Word at that moment. And when we are confronted with the truth, we are to what? Heed it. Act on it. Move upon it. Are your ears open this morning? Heed the Word of God. Second, handle the Word of God. Heed, handle the Word of God. Second Timothy 2.15 says, Be diligent to present yourself approved of God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the Word of truth. He's calling Timothy, Timothy, you accurately handle that Word of truth. That means, guys, that means to study it, to read it, to know it. People struggle sometimes in this area of growing as a Christian. Can I tell you this simple plan? Study it. Read it. Know it. You want to grow in your walk, the Word of God. But accurately handle it. Study it well. That's why we teach expositionally from the pulpit. We want you to know the Word. Third thing, hide the Word. So we're to heed it. We're to handle it. We're to hide the Word of God. Psalm 119 says, Your word I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. This goes past study and reading. This goes into memorization and meditation. Not Eastern meditation, devoiding yourself. What Biblical meditation, putting in, dwelling upon. The word. You memorize it. You know the word. It becomes part of who you are. Do you know that the spirit doesn't supernaturally, rarely, does he just kind of, out of nowhere, implant a thought 
what he typically does, takes what you have in, which is the Word of God, and he brings it to your memory so you can use it at that moment that you need it. Hide the Word. Last one, hold on to the Word. Hold on to the Word of God. Paul writes Philippians 2.16, holding fast the Word of life so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain or toil in vain. And there are going to be times in a church environment or in our world where false teaching will come in. Where we call it winds of doctrine. Guys, don't be swayed. Stay with the word. Hold fast. Know the truth well. Hold on to that truth. Heed it. Handle it. Hide it. Hold it. And Paul, in this text in Colossians, he, he mentions two results from this kind of life that heeds it and and handles it, and hides it, and holds it. He says that, that there'll be teaching and admonishing of the Word. As, as you're growing in Christ, God is going to impart to you wisdom. He says, with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another. That idea of wisdom is not man's wisdom, but godly wisdom. That is, we'll understand God's thoughts, what His desires are. And as we come to know the Word of God, that wisdom will begin to dwell in us. And when that happens, we'll have the desire to share that with others. And when that happens, we'll begin to teach and admonish others. And that's a, a positive and a negative. Teaching is the positive. It's imparting truth and instruction. It's imparting information. Admonishing is the negative side. It's, it's a warning people of the consequences of sin. So teaching would be do this, don't do this and do that. And admonishing is don't do this and don't do that. But together, that's what the Word of God does when we bring it forward. So having the Word of Christ richly dwell within us produces information, but it doesn't just stay in head knowledge. Guess what? It impacts our heart. And because it impacts our heart, it impacts our emotions. And what comes out of that is psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And so Paul begins to point in that direction, this like we did today, we began to worship in song to God. Can I tell you how important that is for the worship service? Now, the reason I keep bringing this up time and time again, one, is in the text, so I get to use this. Don't be late. The whole service is worship to God. The whole service, from the beginning of the first song to the very last word of the last song. Because he says right here that, that they're beginning to, out of, out of that life of the word, comes psalms. Now, now, he's talking about the psalms literally being put into song, much like we do today. And then hymns are expression of praise, praising God from the Word of God. And spiritual songs kind of emphasize the testimony of what God has done. All three are incorporated in the worship that we do. And so the idea is clear. For God's people, we have the Word of God dwelling in us, and because we have the Word of God dwelling in us, it moves our emotions, and our emotions are moved towards joy, and we should have more joy than anyone as Christians. And our joy motivates us. Why? Because we're thankful. Verse 16, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Now, it's interesting. When Derek read, he, he read the word grace. I want to tell you why. It's, it's a form of the word charis, which is grace, and so it can be translated two ways. The Greek word is kariti, singing with thankfulness. That word thankfulness is kariti. It can either be translated grace or thankfulness. I think it's both. So thankful for the grace that God has given us through His Son, Jesus Christ. 
I am so thankful for the inerrant Word of God, that it is infallible without error, that it carries the very authority of God. It is God-breathed. And when we know it, it changes everything. Now, I read a story this week from the great preacher and evangelist Billy Sunday, and I want you just to listen. After Billy Sunday died, they, they, a family member found his Bible, and then they published this. This is what Billy Sunday had written in the sleeve of his Bible about the Word of God. He said, 29 years ago, with the Holy Spirit as my guide, I entered into the portico of Genesis, and I walked down the corridor of the Old Testament art galleries were pictures of Noah and Abraham and Moses, Joseph, Isaac, Jacob, and Daniel hung on the wall. And I passed the music room of the Psalms where the Spirit sweeps the keyboard of nature until it seems that every reed and pipe in God's great organ responds to the harp of David, the sweet singer of Israel. And I entered the chambers of Ecclesiastes where the voice of the preacher is heard and into the conservatory of Sharon and the lilies of the valley where sweet spices filled and perfumed my life. I entered into the business office of Proverbs and onto the observatory of the prophets where I saw telescopes of various sizes pointing off to far off events, concentrating on the bright morning star which was to rise above the moonlit hills of Judea for our salvation and our redemption." And I entered into the audience room of the King of Kings, catching a vision written by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then I went into the correspondence room with Paul and Peter and James and John and their writings in the epistles. And I stepped into the throne room of Revelation, where the tower and the glittering peaks were, where sits the King of Kings upon His throne, the glory of the healing of the nations in His hands. And then I cried out, all hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. Billy Sunday understood how grateful, how thankful we should be for the Word of God. Are you thankful this morning? Two things. Thankful that we have a relationship, a living relationship with the living God through Christ thankful for the Word of God. Last one, thankful. We have an identity, and this identity is a new identity in Christ. Are you thankful for that? Do people know it? Do they see it? Look at verse 17. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. So he says, whatever you do in, in, in word or in deed, in the name of the Lord Jesus. So what Paul does in Colossians, it's kind of interesting when you break it down, he, he kind of, it's kind of like a funnel. He starts kind of with broad thoughts and he narrows it down to this statement. He tells you to put off the old you in verses 5 through 9, put on the new you in verses 10 through 13, he wants you to bind everything in love in verse 14. He wants to let your life be guided by the peace of Christ in verse 15. In addition, he wants it to be shaped and directed by the Word of God in verse 16. And then he sums it all up with this statement right here. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, do it. That's the summation. 
starts broad, ends with this narrow thought. And that means that everything that you and I do as Christians is to be consistent with who Jesus is. The fact that He lives within us by His Spirit and directs us by His Word. Consistent with what He would want. Anything that would honor Him and glorify Him. Now, names in the Bible are important. I mean, in our day and age, they don't hardly mean anything anymore. I feel like people are always changing their names to try to be whatever. But in the Bible, a, ma- a name meant a lot. And God often changed a person's name to, to fit the situation that took place in their life. And as Christians, you bear the name of Christ. I bear the name of Christ. Now, the word Christian is only found three times in the Bible. Acts 11.26, Acts 26.28, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 16. And originally, when that name Christian was given, it, it was given really in contempt But as Christians lived out Christ throughout the centuries, it brought honor to the name of Christ and honor to bear His name. Do you feel honor to bear the name of Christ? And do people even know that you bear His name? Christ is to be our life, not because we're guaranteed heaven. I mean, that's the end result. But that's who you are. That's who I am. His joy becomes my joy. His love becomes my love. His peace is my peace. His strength is my strength. And His identity is now my identity. I'm in Him. He's in me. And Jesus' name means authority. And when you speak His name, it means that you carry the authority of Christ. Just like when you write your name on your check that gives the bank the authority to pull the money from your account, you now bear the name of Christ. And what you do in His name bears the authority of Christ as you move forward in faith. And to do everything moving forward in Him means that we move forward in the consistency of who He is. Similar to what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10.31, Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And so to put on this new life of being in Christ, this identity that you and I, if you know Jesus, have in Christ, it means that He's in us and He's living out through us. Paul in Colossians said that. Colossians 1.26 and 127 says, The mystery which has been hidden in past ages and generations but now has been manifested in His saints to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of the mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And since Christ is in you, you should be being changed, literally transforming into the very image of Christ. Paul also said in 2 Corinthians 3.18, but we all with unveiled face, beholding in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, from the Lord to the Spirit. You know, I read a story about Martin Luther and he heard a knock on the door and he opened the door and the man said, is, is Mr. Luther home? And he said, Martin Luther doesn't live here anymore. Jesus lives here. And so guys, that's a real reality in our life as Christians. Is Christ your identity? Are you thankful for Christ? Because that's where Paul goes. He says, your identity is He's in you. By the way, right here, verse 17, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. 
And remember, Paul wrote this from a Roman prison, more than likely chained to a Roman guard. Three times in this section, he's thankful, thankful, thankful. You and I, based on our situation, would say, unthankful. <laughs> so sad. Paul sees. He knows. He understands it, that Christ is in him. And by the way, do you know something else? You have another name given to you. I have another name given to me. Guess what it is? Saint. You are called a saint before the Lord. Now, it's interesting, that word saint in the Greek is hagias, the same word for holy. You are a holy one, a saint set apart for God. You are His, and He is yours in Christ. That is your name. Interesting, I read a story about, uh, it was written by Donald Gray Barnhouse. He was a well-known pastor in the 50s. And he was writing about another pastor and a commentator by the name of Harry Ironside. Maybe some of you might have his commentaries. But Ironside was going to the Pacific Coast from Chicago, and that train ride in those days took four days. <clears throat> and the compartment that he was in, there was a, a group of Catholic nuns in there. And so in the mornings, Ironside would get up and he'd read his Bible and the nuns would come around and he'd read them scriptures and they'd have discussions about the text and, and they loved that. And about the third day, he was reading and discussing the scriptures with them. And then he asked them a question. He said, would you guys like to, to, to you know, he said, have you ever seen a saint? And all of them said, no, I've never seen a saint. And he said, would you like to? And they said, yes. And he says, well, here I am, St. Harry. And they're like, What? And then he said, let me show you. And what he did is he read from Romans chapter 1, verse 7. Paul says, to all who are beloved of God in Rome, called as saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he began to share with them that they are the saints of God, the holy ones of God, called out before God. If you know Jesus, you're saved. If you know Jesus, you, know how, you now have a living relationship with God through Christ. Be thankful. Because of His goodness to us, He gave us the Scriptures written down that we have them to refer back to them again and again. Know them. Be thankful. And remember, He is in you, and you are in Him. Amen? Are you thankful? Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful to you. Your kindness is always evident. And as your children, Lord, we turn to you even now and we offer up the remaining parts of this service. May you be glorified by it. May the word of God do its work. May your spirit have freedom here. I pray that nothing hinders your work even now. All glory and honor be to your holy name, Lord Jesus. You deserve all honor and praise. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Could I please have you stand with me? As a way to close this service, I just want to, to give an offer of the gospel to you if you don't know Christ this morning. I was talking to those of you that know Jesus primarily in this text because that's what he's, Paul is doing. He's talking to those who are in Christ who take off the old man and put on the new but I want to make an offer to those that don't know Him. 
I don't know what brought you here. But the offer of Jesus is free, is an absolute gift from God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And He offers this gift for you if you want to receive Him openly. And the Bible says, by grace you have been saved through faith, but it is not of yourself. It is the gift of God. You can receive Jesus this morning, and it's as simple as receiving Him through prayer. Understanding that you are a sinner, lost, estranged from God. But you need His grace and kindness and goodness. And that is found in Jesus. You need Jesus. So I want to give you an opportunity right now. So I'd like us to bow our heads. And if you've come here this morning wondering what you need, even wondering what is the will of God for me, His main will is Jesus. You can pray this prayer and receive Christ right now. You can repeat after me. Heavenly Father, I know that you love me. Forgive me, for I've sinned against you. Lord Jesus, I trust in you and you alone. I put my faith in you. I believe that you died for me. I repent from my sin and I turn to you. I trust that you paid for all my sin. And now I want to live for you, so help me. Fill me with your spirit. Let me follow you the rest of my life. And I pray this in Jesus' name.